Hey, listen, let me, uh, let me just kind of clue you guys in. If you're, if you're uh, new on campus, let me, let me just kind of help you with our discipleship process. So anyway, this year, really, our focus is to help us grow together, not only in relationships, which is a big part of that, but also to progress in our walk and knowledge of the Lord. So we are reading through the New Testament together as a faith family this year. From Matthew 1 to Revelation 22. The 1st of January, we started in Matthew 1. The uh, December, the end of December, we will complete the New Testament together. Revelation chapter 22. Anyway, we're on that journey together. Five chapters each week is our, is our process. So this week coming up that we're about to step into, Luke chapter 7 through Luke chapter 11. And anyway, that keeps us all together. What that means is... Our small groups, our discipleship groups, they're going to study those chapters together in their small group session this week, Luke 7 through 11. On Wednesday night, when we meet together on campus, we share a meal at 545, and then we do Bible study. We break out in small groups, and we study these same chapters, Luke 7 through 11. And this morning, you get a kickoff from your pastor from Luke 7 through 11. So that's our process. We're talking about the same thing all week. We want, you know, hey, we're trying to help one another grow and progress in our knowledge of the Lord. And so anyway, that's our process. If you would like one of these journals, then you can take a picture of this. You can get it on Amazon and you can keep your notes in here. If you just want to get a notepad and keep notes of what you read and want to discuss, then, hey, that's perfectly fine, too. If you would like a, a small group to be a part of, then that's pretty easy as well. On Wednesday nights, well, we get a flyover of all the chapters, so chapter 7 through 11, and then we take a specific part of that study, and then we break up in small groups, and we talk about it that way. So anyway, you can join in on Wednesday night, absolutely, but if you want to join in on a different group or a different time, then there's lots of opportunities for that. So again, Terry can guide you on how to get connected that way. All right, I want to uh, just say welcome this morning, it's really, it's really no groundbreaking news for you. Chapter 7 through 11 really just kind of, you know, they, I don't know, the thing that really stood out to me reading these chapters is the prayer life of Jesus. And so I'm going to talk to us literally this morning about this idea of prayer. And so let me just kind of start the conversation. Let me draw you in for a minute. And, and let me ask you this question. All right, everybody ready? Pop quiz. So what does prayer accomplish? Think about that for a minute. What does prayer accomplish? If you were going to answer that this morning, if you were going to have that on, on an exam, how would you answer that? What, what does prayer accomplish? Anybody want to take a stab at it this morning? All right, a, clo a closer walk with God. All right. Okay, communication, all right, so it's conversation between a believer and our God, okay, anybody else want to take a stab at that? Okay, giving your burdens away, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you, all right, perfect. Our relationship, so prayer is this divine context, this conversation where we build relationship with our Creator, our Savior, all right, very good. Anything else? Okay, here's a follow-up question. Do you remember in 
a, a season in your journey where God just really specifically answered one of your prayers. In other words, where something divinely happened and you knew that it was God who not only had heard your prayer, but had answered your prayer. All right, let me ask you another question. Have you ever prayed and thought to yourself, God didn't hear me? Can I get a witness? Or maybe God didn't do it like I wanted him to do it. Okay. All right. So we're talking about this divine conversation. And, you know, as we get together in this mix, I think it's good for us to kind of process, you know, what does prayer really accomplish? I'm going to take us through this journey over a few chapters of the prayer life of Jesus and I'm gonna, I mean, we're going to learn some stuff. So what does prayer accomplish in our lives? We're going to do that. But let me illustrate something for you uh, from the front side. So Harvest Church is brand new. So if you're new, guess what? Hey, we're all new, right? We officially started, we met for the first time as a church family on September the 6th, 2020. So in September, we'll have our third birthday. Now, there were some small pockets of groups that met leading up to that and planning for that, but the official day was September 6, 2020. Now, from that point, we had the privilege of meeting in the Baptist building from September until it was about time for us to grow up and pay our own bills and get kicked out. Anybody ever experienced that? So we had that for a season, and that allowed us to just kind of plan and prepare and save money so that when we could finally get out, we could support ourselves. Well, as time drew near, we started praying together for three things as a church family. We prayed for property, we prayed for unity, and we prayed for clarity. God give us some clear vision. So here's what we did. We started praying and asking God for those things because we knew that it was essential for us to have those things. And so what started happening was as we prayed, we started to look for property. I mean, God, we're about to get out, kicked out, out on our own. We're going to have to pay our own bills and make our own way. We need a space. We need a place. And so we started asking about places to rent. So we went to the old C Spire place by Walmart, and we tried to rent that, and they wouldn't rent it to us. And then we uh, tried to go to the dock and, and rent the dock. That was the dream for me. <laughs> Drive my boat to church in any way. So we pray, you know, we're, we're looking for the right space, praying and asking God about that. And anyway, every door that we tried to open and kick through, God just closed it, and God kept bringing us back here. And every time I would say, God, this is not it. This is not what I want. It's not big enough. It's not pretty enough. And so anyway, we kept praying. Property, unity, clarity. And God kept bringing us back. This is your property. Lord, this ain't it. Anyway, we finally settled and God gave us this place. We're so grateful. And so you guys as a church family, you wrote a check for $100,000, which you had saved. You paid for this property. And then we needed to make major renovations and update a 1953 facility so that we could have church and so anyway, we started to work painting and prepping and working and putting in carpet and all that you see. And anyway, at the end of the whole process, I asked our treasurer how much money we had left. Do we have enough left to function? And she said, we have $150,000. And you say, 
you know, how does that happen? And we kept coming. No matter what we did, we had $150,000. That don't happen at my house, but that happened at the church. How does that happen? It was, it was God. He was providing for us property and building unity among believers, bringing clarity about where we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be and all that stuff. And so anyway, we have witnessed the goodness of God and His answer to prayers for us as a faith family. This morning, the conversation is more personal, and I really want to put it in, in, in your context and just kind of ask you, hey, what, what role does prayer play in your life? What are the benefits of prayer? What is prayer going to accomplish in my life personally as a believer? We're going to take the journey of Jesus and we're going to learn from Him. Luke chapter 11 is where I'm going to take my text. That's where we're going to start, at least begin this conversation this morning. You will recognize the text most, most probably. It's this context where Jesus literally is, he is going to begin a teaching ministry that explains the kingdom of God and, and all kind of things, but he begins this conversation in a personal time of prayer. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 reads this way, It came to pass as he was praying, that is Jesus, it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place, that when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we step into this context where we're about to just kind of follow the journey of Jesus through these chapters and pull out places where Jesus chose to, I don't know, take time and highlight a season of prayer. You know, prayer is one of those things that we come to the table knowing almost intuitively that prayer is a part of the process of a relationship with Christ. I mean, it's there from the beginning, right? And so we talk about this divine drawing where God draws a person unto himself. It's the Holy Spirit of, you know, where we're convicted of our sin. We see our need to be saved. And then we respond in faith to what the Spirit is saying and to what Christ has done. Y'all tracking with me so far? And so this conversation then begins at that point where we confess Jesus as Lord. Salvation begins and intuitively, we know that prayer is a part of the process. It's part of the journey. Now, what I know in the context of us in the assembly is that, hey, there's some of you that have been saved for years, for a long time. And so you can testify of places and points along this journey where you have had seasons of prayer, maybe seasons of real tragedy and trial where that's all you could do is pray. If you hadn't been there, you're going to be there. At some point. And so we're pressed into prayer at times. For some, it's the beginning of your journey. And maybe you even say at this point, you know, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how this works or whatever. And so, hey, you're in the right place today. We're going to step into this 
conversation and we're not only going to learn about prayer, but you're going to learn what's going to be produced during your seasons of prayer. Prayer is, listen, this is the last thing I want you to do today. And that is to take something home and say, well, I got to pray at this time and I got to do it this way and it's got to be like this and da, 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 da. I'm not here to give you patterns and principles and that kind of thing this morning. I just want you to see the activity of God in the process of prayer. Now, Jesus is the divine son of God. God from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, right? I mean, we, we're talking about the divine son of God walking out his journey, literally in progression from Bethlehem of Judea to the cross of Calvary outside of Jerusalem. I mean, we're watching him and his humanity walk this out, and then it's seasons of life along this journey just really pinpoint for us some highlights of his prayer life with the Father. And so, hey, what happens when a believer prays? I'm going to give you five or six things. Probably you're going to hear me preach about two or three of those things, and then I'll give you the rest to take on for homework. That's the way it worked at 9. Maybe it'll be different at 11. Here you go. Hey, what happens when a believer prays? The first thing that happens, I'm going to take you back to Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to give you an instance in a scenario. And I want you to just kind of, I don't know, tune in with me. So Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Listen to what the scripture says. What happens when a believer prays? Listen to this language. However, the report went around concerning Jesus... All the more. Great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And so let me help, let, let me let me draw this picture and let me set it up for you. Before I do that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had seasons of life where things were coming at you faster than you could process? I mean, maybe you, you're like me and you like to compartmentalize and it's one thing at a time. If, if, if things come away one thing at a time, then I have time to process and rationalize and think through and form a solution and move forward. That's the way I like to do business. Hey, hey get, get me sideways and here's what happens. I'm working on my thing. I'm focused on that and then somebody brings something else. And then something else comes and something else that I wasn't expecting. And it just begins to mount and to mount. And now all of a sudden, there's all this stuff that is on my plate. And it's more than I'm able to process at one time. Can I get a witness? Somebody. I mean, life happens that way, right? It just does. It, it literally comes at us faster than we can process and evaluate and move forward correctly. Well, listen to the context of what's going on. So Jesus is led out into the wilderness and tempted for 40 days by the devil. I mean, listen, he is literally oppressed in every way in, in that season. He immediately leaves there, goes into the synagogue, and introduces himself as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of the one who is to come. Immediately there is pushback and there is opposition and they're ready to kill him almost immediately. Then he begins his healing ministry where it's Peter's mother-in-law and then Jairus' 
daughter. And so now his fame is growing rapidly. And chapter 5 begins with this scene where there is this press that is pushing against Jesus so hard that he can't stand on the land anymore. He's got to remove himself from the shore and get onto a boat so that he can have some relief and preach to the people. Y'all see it? Y'all see it piling up? And so there's this pressure and there's, you know, he's on the boat now. So much is coming at him. Hard to process. What do you do during those seasons? What do you do when it's too much? Things aren't going right at work. My wife won't behave. We're having another grandkid. And so on and so forth. What do you do? Eddie, here's what we usually do. We, 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 we try to get busier. And we lose sleep. And we... You know, we, we, we try to process and work it all out. And we go talk to the bank and say, I need some more money. I don't know. We do all kinds of things, right? But we learn from Jesus that there is a benefit to prayer. In the midst of busyness, in the midst of pressure and the stress of life and the demands of the crowd where the noise is coming from everywhere, he removes himself. Listen to the language of the text. It literally... It gives, it gives us insight. It gives us a window. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In other words, there is this season where there's too much. It's, it's the pressure of public meetings. I can only imagine what the ministry life of Jesus was like. I think I got a window during ministry in Honduras. So my first ever mission trip. John, we talked about that this morning. My first ever trip was to Seis de Mayo, Honduras. First mission trip, didn't really know what to expect. So we uh, had a boatload of Mardi Gras beads and candy and stuff like that. We're, we were rock stars to the kids. I mean, they came from everywhere. We stood on the path on their way back from school. They walked by us. We give them Mardi Gras beads. They thought we gave them diamonds. I mean, it was like that. I mean, they, they were drawn to us, and we were able to share Christ with the kids and all that stuff. So Brian Shavers was with me, and he got this bright idea that he was going to take a, a, a bunch of $1 bills down there with us. And so he gives me warning on the plane. He said, I got a pocket full of $1 bills. And he pulled it out, and he's got his bank roll. So, he, you know, he looked like something off TV. He's got a bank roll of $1 bills. And so anyway, we had worked all morning in this village. We're putting a, a tin roof on a church building. And so it's hot as the heat of the day, so we go under this shade tree, and there's this one kid that Brian has just really been drawn to. He's a kid with Down syndrome, and he reminded him of a friend that he had here. And so anyway, he calls the kid over, and he says, you know, come here. I'm going to give you this, but you don't tell anybody about, about this. So he peels off one of those $1 bills, and immediately that kid's name was Marby, and he starts hollering to the top of his lungs, and he runs. And I mean, in less than a minute, it seemed like we're swarmed. And there's kids from all over this village. They're just piling on, man. And there's no way of escape. And I'm thinking, Brian's about to get mugged by kids for these $1. I mean, it's just this, it's, it's a massive scene. It's crazy. It's in chaos like that that Jesus turns off the noise 
and isolates himself. The wilderness, it's a, it's a, it's a quiet place. A farmer once told me, he said, you want a quiet place? Get a hoe, go out to the garden. Ain't nobody going to bother you there. For some of us, it's a lawnmower. Can't hear nothing but the whatever sound it makes, right? Part of the, the issue with the pressure of our season is there's never a place to turn off the noise. So it's from work. It's from the chaos of, of, of home and raising kids and, and all that. It's from the activity of the sports program. And it just piles up and piles up. And then when we finally get a few minutes to be alone, it's scrolling. What's happening in everybody else's life? Oh, I got to respond to this. I got to give my opinion on this. And then that creates more drama. And there's never a time where it's just all shut down and it's nobody but me and God. Just quiet conversation. Here's one benefit of prayer. If you don't get anything else this morning, it's a time of refreshment where all the noise is turned off and the only conversation going on is what you're pouring your heart out to the Father and what He's speaking back into your spirit. That's a, that's a refreshing time. If that's not a part of the pattern and the rhythm of life, then there's just going to be this continuous cycle where I'm hearing everything and thinking I have to respond to everything. And, you know, before it's over with, I'm overwhelmed and I'm drained both emotionally and every other way. So let's, let's, take, let's take a lesson from Jesus and, and see the essential nature of a time to refresh, to unplug, to, to get away. The Sabbath was designed for that. Did you know that? Anybody get what I'm saying? So a day, a day of the week was designed just so that people didn't have to go to work. They didn't have to deal with the struggle. The wife didn't even have to cook. Praise the Lord. It was, just, it was just this day where there was this separation, a focus on holy things, but a downtime. God taught us that. There needs to be a time of refreshing. And if we do that once a week, praise the Lord, do it once a week. If you can pattern that in your life where there's a part of your day that's just given to that. Then do that. Here's what uh, Charles Finney said. He says, prayer bathes the soul in an atmosphere of the divine presence. Just this refreshing, just this soul refreshing. If you feel like you're too hurried, too pressed, here's the, here's the wisdom for you today. Set yourself apart. Take a day. Take two days. Take three days. Spend it with the Lord. Turn all the other noise off. I know you're probably saying, Pastor, you're the only one that can do that because you don't have a real job. That's what y'all thinking, right? <laughs> it's, um, 
It's necessary. Here's the second thing. What does prayer accomplish in the life of the believer? It prepares the believer to make big decisions. Let me ask you a question. Is there a big decision that you need to make? Hey, maybe it's who I'm going to marry. I've already made that decision. Praise the Lord. Never had to do that again. Maybe it's where I'm going to go to school. Maybe it's which direction I'm going to go in my career. Which job am I going to take? There's, there's, there's seasons where there are big decisions that we make that have implications that last throughout a lifetime, right? And so, you know, here's a scenario. Let's just say that you make the decision to get married and you married the wrong person. Guess what? That's not good. If you live through that, then you know. If you have, hey, if you've chosen the wrong church, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation, right? I mean, if you're weighing that, hey, where can I raise my family? Which church should they go to? How do I evaluate that? It's a good question. What kind of questions do you ask? Is the preaching any good? Is the music any good? Do they have something for my kids? Is it? What else do you ask? I don't know. What should we ask? Hey, what does God say? Hey, does God have something to say about who I marry? Does God have something to say about my career? Let me, let me help you a minute. Wisdom is good. So when we get in a room like this, then it's good to look around and get to know one another because maybe you're at the place where you're considering beginning a relationship or you know, making a new friend, spending some time with a certain person, or maybe you're thinking about getting married. Let me tell you who to go talk to. You want to know who to marry? Then you go ask the old guy who's got gray hair, who's been married to the same woman for 50 years, and you sit down and you have a conversation with him or with his wife about, hey, what makes this work? What should I look for? You're going to find wisdom there. If if it has to do with career, then you go sit down and you talk to somebody who's been in the field that you're going into and you ask them about what's good about this, what should I look for, you know, what's the drawbacks, and you weigh that. That's called wisdom. It's good to be in the midst of counsel. But here's what has to happen, and that is, hey, I want to know what God says. What does God say about this? Is this God's path for my life? Listen, you need to hear from God about that. I mean, I, I used this illustration this morning. Alyssa is on the platform singing her heart out, and we're about to send her overseas. And she's young. She's been homeschooled. She's lived in an isolated environment for her upbringing. She is a fabulous young lady. She loves Jesus and all of that. But it's almost unfathomable in my mind that this young lady is going to uproot her life and she's going to go with a group of people that she doesn't know. The only commonality they have is Christ and the fact that they want to go share the gospel. And so she's going to unite with that group of people. They're going to go to Thailand and Cambodia and they're going to spend some months together ministering. And here's what I can tell you. That doesn't make sense to her mama. 
In fact, her mom pressed her about that issue. But here's what Alyssa said. God is driving that into my heart. God has burdened my heart about doing that. And she's wrestled with that over some months. So her mom asked the question, have you prayed about that? To which she responded. It was in a season of prayer that God pressed that into her heart. I'm not giving you permission to rebel against your parents. But what I am saying to you, that as, as God presses a burden into your heart about maybe a season of ministry or a direction to take, just know if God said it, that you can trust it. It may not make sense to everybody else. A step in ministry normally doesn't. I'm 53 years old. I should be pastoring according to most people. An old established church because I'm a seasoned pastor. But God had different plans. Church planting, that's for the young guys with all the energy. It doesn't always make sense on paper. In fact, you can't make faith make sense on paper. I'll just tell you that. You just can't. It doesn't make sense on paper. But if God said it, He'll provide for it. He'll protect you in the process. Hear from God. How can I hear from God? There's one place that you can hear from God. One of the benefits of prayer, one of the blessings of prayer in your life is this divine conversation. It's two-way. If all your prayer is is telling God what you want and what you want God to do, then you really have missed the point of what prayer is all about. Part of it is, is us pouring our heart out to God. Part of it is God pouring His will into us. It's divine conversation. It's two-way conversation. It gives the believer a preview of coming attractions. That's the third blessing of prayer. What are the benefits of prayer? Number one, it refreshes the spirit. Number two, it prepares the believer to make big decisions. Number three, it gives the believer a preview of coming attractions. So what you're going to read about in Luke chapter 9 is the transfiguration. And God spoke this to my spirit this morning. I was sitting right here worshiping with everybody else. And what I, what I began to process is this reality that there were seasons and times where Jesus didn't pray by himself. Now, we just, we just read two different instances where Jesus was apart. He was by Himself. He withdrew to a wilderness and prayed. He was on a mountaintop and He prayed. In Luke chapter 9, before the transfiguration, there are three guys with Him, Peter, James, and John. And so what I want to say to you is, hey, if there, if, if there is something big that's weighing on you, if there's a burden that's maybe bigger than you can carry, or maybe there's something that you just want to celebrate with those that are closest to you, then maybe that's a season where you take, you take them with you in prayer. If you ever felt like you just couldn't get a hold of God, maybe you're in a place where you just really felt too broken to pray. 
Let me give you three places where Jesus chose to take others to pray with him. First is before the healing of Jairus' daughter. Second is the transfiguration. And third is the Garden of Gethsemane. Three different times where Jesus wanted to take not 12, but three, Peter, James, and John, to pray with him. If it's a certain season and you, you have a, a burden that's bigger than you are, or you feel like you need somebody else to pray with you, then praise the Lord, I would hope in this assembly that there can be one or two people that you care enough about, that you know that they love the Lord, and you know that they can get a hold of God, and you just bring them with you. Hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. I need to hear from God. Prayer gives a glimpse of what's to come. The transfiguration is a preview of coming attractions. We get to see Jesus glorified just for a minute. We get to see Moses and Elijah on the scene. We get to watch the glory come down. That's a preview of what's to come. Here are the last thoughts. I'm just going to give them to you. You go study for yourself. Number four, why or what happens when a believer prays? Number four, it provides an opportunity for the believer to give thanks to God. When have you made time and space for that? Number five, prayer prepares the believer for ministry to others. That comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And number six, a continual practice of prayer builds spiritual muscle. Malie, you said it. Relationship, where does that come from? It comes from prayer. It builds trust. It builds confidence. That's what prayer does in the life of the believer. Here is a closing statement. It says this, Daniel would rather spend a night with the lions than miss a day of prayer. Why? Because prayer has great benefits. What happens when a believer prays? There's refreshment. There's direction. There's guidance. There is a glimpse of things to come. So let's be a people of, of, of prayer. You know, some, some sermons are like this. It's, it's like we just have to be reminded of what we already know. Just to be pressed back into that reality. Just kind of get pushed back on track, if you will. And so today is that kind of day. Here is here's how I'm going to close. We're going to sing like we always do. And I'm going to pray for us. But before I do, think about this for a minute. Is today a day where you need others to pray for you or pray with you? Is today one of those kind of days? If it is, then as Jeremy sings, take time to get with somebody that will pray with you and for you. God spoke that in my spirit this morning for a reason. Maybe it's for you. So if that needs to happen this morning, hey, maybe you don't feel right about praying with anybody else. If I can pray with you or for you, then I'll meet you right down here, okay? Y'all come on, stand to your feet.